So, Rachel? Yeah? The Enterprise goes to rescue an unknown colony, but is informed that evacuation would destroy the perfection of its genetically engineered society. What do you think you're going to get? Well, let's say they're engineered for those specific conditions, and they wouldn't be extraordinary if they were in normal air or normal pressure. They'd rather stay perfect and die than, you know, go out of their atmosphere or their special society. Or they wouldn't be allowed to live their way if they left. There'll be a Picard showdown with the leader, and Troy will want to help them more than Picard will allow. Hmm, maybe? All right, we'll see. Okay. Rachel watches Star Trek. Captain's Log, Stardate 45470.1. The Enterprise has been diverted to the Moab sector to track a stellar core fragment of a disintegrated neutron star. Our science teams have been asked to monitor the planetary disruptions it may cause. Welcome to Rachel Watches Star Trek. I'm Rachel Lackey. I'm Chris Lackey, and we are not alone. Oh, no. We are joined... By a guest. Hello. <laughs> it's Ben Allback. I have been a longtime listener of your all show. I don't know if that's a credential mm. or not. Yeah, it is. It is. I've been a supporter and listener of yours since pretty much the beginning. Uh, and so what I do, uh, I am a professor of anthropology and uh, ecology and evolutionary biology at the University of Tennessee. My work focuses a lot on understanding how humans and other primates have uh, evolved and responded to the environment over the course of uh, the last few thousand years. Oh my gosh, how the heck do you do all of that? I do a lot of wow. mathematical modeling. You know, that's part of it. The reason I'm really kind of here for this particular show, though, is that I also uh, am a specialist in understanding the history of the eugenics movement. And so I think that this episode is one of the rare Star Trek episodes that tiptoes in the direction of talking about those topics. So it's going to be having an unusual dipping of a toe and a very strange swim in the pool of <laughs> eugenics today, and you'll hopefully be able to guide us through. There's no such thing as a normal swim in the pool of eugenics. Oh, yeah. So I, I think this episode's a little curious because I say that, and not once in the episode do anyone mention the word eugenics. Uh, and that's even strange for Star Trek when you consider that this is a show that you know, the writers from the original series created the eugenics wars. And, mm -hmm. you know, Khan was, uh, you know, a major villain for, you know, not just the series, but probably one of the most successful movies ever in the franchise. Yeah. Iconic. So, so when you think about it, it's strange that they don't mention that since that's what this entire show is about. Instead, they focus on kind of genetic engineering uh, as the you know, important aspect of this colony. Genetic engineering doesn't necessarily equal eugenics. What are, what's the difference between the two? So eugenics is uh, more of a philosophy that's being kind. It's more of a religion or belief system. So uh, mm -hmm. it's a pseudoscience. Um, it's a belief that you can somehow breed people to be better. Of course, what better constitutes whoever is des deciding who gets to breed and who doesn't. Uh -huh. yeah, yeah. Uh, genetic engineering, though, that's a that's a much broader palette. We use genetic engineering all the time. Um, we've been doing it as a species without knowing what we were doing explicitly for thousands of years. That's how we end up with corn and wheat, kind of a form of selective breeding. Yeah. And dogs, right? Yeah. All of our all of our domesticated animals are kind of a form of gen genetic engineering, but it wasn't real genetic engineering in the sense that we think about it uh, today, which is where you purposefully 
know that there are genes, that there's a genome, and you can mm. edit that genome. So mm. you all have probably heard or read about CRISPR, an enzyme which basically goes through and you can, it's not very precise, but you can kind of snip out parts of the genome and replace them with other parts. Theoretically, it's used to pull out parts of the genome and you can replace it with another gene. I think there's jellyfish genes that are responsible for bioluminescence and they insert them in other animals. That's the type of stuff that gets the headlines. A lot of genetic engineering is, it's an attempt to try to address congenital diseases uh, mm. that people uh, inherit. Well, let's get into the actual episode. And I'm sure we're going to have lots to talk about as we get through the synopsis. Uh, this episode, the teleplay was by Adam Belanoff and Michael Piller, story by James Kahn and Adam Belanoff. How ironic James Kahn was in it, but Kahn was not. <laughs> Directed by Vindrick Corby. Oh, very nice, Chris. Chris has been doing German for a year as of today on Duolingo. On Duolingo, yeah. This is not an ad, just an accomplishment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's the sum of it. That's it. <laughs> so let's launch into the story then. Yes. While observing a stellar core fragment, the Enterprise crew find that Moab 4, one of the planets it would affect as it passes by, is inhabited by humans and that an artificial environment biosphere has been created there. It shouldn't be habitable, but they have made it so. The inhabitants eventually pick up the phone after they've been calling them for a while to say, um, you're all about to die. And they treat Picard like he's selling life insurance. It's very <laughs> cheeky and they're just not interested. No. When they find out that they're about to be destroyed though, they agree for an away team to beam down. Beaming, you say? Wow, they've never heard of it. No. Now, on the planet, they speak with Connor, an earnest, receptive guy, and Martin Benbeck. <laughs> who is not. <laughs> who is seething with anger throughout this episode. Yeah. Nonstop seething, this man, because he understands the risk to their perfect society. Uh, he is the voice of the founders. And I guess the founders has more relevance to you, too. And you lot listening, founding fathers, because in the UK, we've got no idea what the plan was for us. They just winged it, I guess. And this is what uh, we've got. Yeah. Uh, Bimbeck was played by Ron Canada, uh, who was also in an episode each of D in Deep Space Nine and in Voyager. Okay. He began as an award-winning news reporter in the 70s. He's best known for roles in One on One, The Shield, Lone Star, Cinderella Man, Wedding Crashers, and The West Wing. Uh, mm -hmm. Personally, I, I, I remember him on The West Wing because he was, I think, the Secretary of State. He brings the gravitas in all of his roles. Uh, and and that shows. I mean, if you look at his his uh, IMDb, he's he's lots of detectives and judges. But they kind of just give him one note in this episode, don't they? Now, they refuse to evacuate because the ancestors came from Earth to create a perfect society, believing that through controlled procreation, they, uh, they could create people without flaws, and those people could bring about a paradise. Hmm. So, yeah, we're better than you. <laughs> yeah, they essentially say, well, they do say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone looks so 80s on their planet. Shoulder pads, color-blocked jackets, polo necks. This was only the early 90s, but they're either capturing what people are wandering around in out there rather than space outfits, or they're trying to make them look dated. Slightly dated. Yeah. yeah. Now, LaForge gets to work with the top scientist, Hannah Bates, and Connor pairs up with a curious swooning Troy. Oh, goodness. Time for some summer some loving. loving. Happened so fast. <laughs> so fast. Way too fast. <laughs> Bates and LaForge, or LaFates, uh. get down to some heavy tech babbling. A multiphasic tractor beam should move the fragment just enough to send it away. 
from them and she'll need to come to the Enterprise to help, which will be the first time anyone's ever left the colony. So it's a big deal. Day Young plays Bates. She was also in an episode each of Deep Space Nine and Enterprise. Hmm. Another one who was asked back just once. Her older sister played Dax's mother. Oh. Fun fact. She was a waitress in Spaceballs, <laughs> did some film and TV, and she's also a, a sculptor. Wow. Well, Picard just wants to evacuate, and we get this. I believe some will choose to risk death rather than leave, Captain. We spent a good deal of time on the surface. How do you suggest we change their minds? I'm not sure we can. It would mean abandoning their fundamental way of life. I've managed to turn a dubious scientific endeavor into dogma. You don't approve of genetic engineering. It was a bad idea whose time is long past. They seem to have made it succeed. <laughs> They've given away their humanity with this genetic manipulation. Many of the qualities that they breed out, the, the uncertainty, self-discovery, the unknown, these are many of the qualities that make life worth living. Well, at least to me. I wouldn't want to live my life knowing that my future was written, that my boundaries had been already set, would you? I've asked myself that question a lot during the past few days. I don't know. I doubt it. Nevertheless, it's what they believe in, and it won't be an easy matter to talk them into leaving. This leader of theirs, Connor, he seems to be a reasonable man. I find him very reasonable. Open to suggestions, thoughtful, quite disarming. The perfect administrator. I'm sure. Will he leave when he sees there's no other choice? I don't know. I hope so. That felt very TOS. Could have been an argument Kirk and McCoy were having. They have had several times before. Got to be human. You've got to suffer and you've got to go through the natural ebbs and flows of life. What he says here about the qualities of, of uncertainty and self-discovery are what's important and that's what life is about. And... I'm not sure that that's what life is about mm. on, a, on a grand scale, because I think the whole point of a culture and a civilization is to ultimately help the species survive. I, I, I also sympathize with what they're channeling through Picard here, this idea that you need to have some exploration, you have to have some randomness, you have to have something that mm. uh, gives you your life more meaning than simply having offspring. That's what makes humanity in some ways so great is that we don't have uh, to just rely on on these very mundane, very basic pieces of what it means to be alive. Picard's also right on the level that I'm bringing up as well on just the pure survival. The fact that the species, if they stuck to what they were going to do, they'd all be dead. Their philosophy would not bear out the continuation of their civilization. Mm. However, this crazy, chaotic civilization, I'm jumping ahead in concepts a little bit, is having to come rescue them. Now, Bates and LaForge, LaFates, hit a roadblock, and uh, a tired LaForge removes his visor. She is shocked when he does that, and he realizes that he would have been terminated as a fertilized cell by their society. Yeah, which didn't make that much sense. Would they have fertilized? They wouldn't have got that cell? far. 
the the fact that LaForge says he would have never been a fertilized cell doesn't make any sense here because mm -hmm. when you think about it, uh, this is a perfectly genetically engineered society. He would have never been conceived in the first place. So mm -hmm. I think it's interesting because the showrunners apparently, if you look on Memory Alpha, we're jumping ahead a little bit, but if you look at mm -hmm. Memory Alpha, apparently there was a lot of concern that they expressed about how this episode would be received when it came to ideas like abortion rights. But um, mm -hmm. it's not really relevant because this is a society that doesn't have abortion, not in the sense that we're thinking about it. They just never conceive right. mm -hmm. individuals of a certain type. Yeah, I wonder why they threw that in. Yeah, they don't go into the specifics of this episode either of how they're genetically engineered. Are they all from test tubes? Are they all test tube babies and they're implanted? Or is it selective breeding? Is it they, they don't really say, do they, Ben? No, they don't. Mm. Definitely some uh, strange wiggle room they leave in the episode for exactly how they achieve their so-called masterpiece society. Mm -hmm. Daytime's over as she launches into some ableist dogma. Yeah, it was all going so well. They don't make it into a romance, but I, you know, he really could win her over easily because he's, he's being himself, he's being brilliant. Yeah, she's but attractive it, as well. It's over now, yeah. yeah. Despite her thin fringe. <laughs> uh, she says it was the wish of our founders that no one had to suffer a life with disabilities i think that this is an interesting concept because it actually brings up this issue that they say later in the episode which is that their uh, necessity the lack of necessity they have means that they're not innovating and they mm -hmm. say you know necessity is the mother of invention so if you don't have any struggles in your society you don't have any need to change but then this leads me to maybe an obvious question if that's the case why are you breeding theoretical physicists if you don't need to worry about inventing or innovating? Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. If there are no problems to solve. Well, maybe they th they are thinking ahead slightly, but not as far as they should. And they're, they're thinking, well, maybe we will have some future problem in our society and we need the, the theoretical physicist to maybe figure out those problems if they come or anticipate. But they didn't do well enough with it in their genetic engineering of physicist because she didn't anticipate this would be potentially a problem. Are they encouraged not to think beyond their biosphere? Well, or even any other thing like uh, an asteroid or some kind of uh, cataclysmic earthquake or, uh, or just what's out there or anything. Yeah. An, an alien species showing up and mm. deciding, yeah, we're just going to take over your planet for whatever reason. Mm. Jordy says, who gave them the right to decide whether or not I should be here, whether or not I might have something to contribute? And then he thinks, based on his Pfizer design, he works out how he's able to solve the problem that they're having, and he is able to save, with this idea, their whole planet. Huh. Because of his disability, because his disability pushed people to develop his visor, this visor technology is the stuff that's actually going to help their civilization. Yeah, in your face! Well, they all sit around looking like extras from the Cosby show, just because of the clothes. <laughs> That's the only really 80s yeah. show I can remember watching with lots of bizarre jumpers. Listening to a kid play piano. I bet they don't have TVs there. I bet that's their vision of a perfect society. Yeah. Listening to a very mediocre piano recital is the height of perfection. Mm -hmm. In the movie Gattaca, which is, I, I have to say, a much better consideration of eugenics and how it affects mm -hmm. a civilization, um, Gattaca, of course, like is five years after this this TV show. But in that movie, it features a scene as well with a person playing the piano. It's Chopin in that movie and it's Chopin in this episode. So there's something about Chopin and eugenics that people in Hollywood put together. I don't know what that means. Yeah. Is it particularly difficult to play? What are they saying with Chopin? Well, Troy is falling in love with Connor 
And we're not. But she worries that she's influencing him. I like him. Hold Do on. You? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I'm not a I'm not a woman, but I I think that he's charming and I like him. He's nice. He's smart. Oh gosh, I think he's trying to play charming and he thinks he's suave, but he's oh. not pulling it off. He just looks like he was acting the whole time. Worked for me though. Well, that's good. <laughs> not for any of the showrunners apparently, as we'll discuss later. Yeah, I thought he was playing the character as handsome and reflective man. And it doesn't feel authentic. And there's no chemistry between them, in my opinion. Mm. John Snyder is the actor. Gosh, as I do a drive-by on him. He also played the Romulan centurion, Bokra in The Enemy. Oh, right. His memory alpha says, Colby and Berman were not happy with his performance in this. So now I feel bad because that is part of his entry on memory alpha. Oh, Oh, that's so harsh. Yeah. He seems to have been a jobbing actor with lots of dubbing voices into English. They beam down a lot of engineers to fortify the biostructure, which further annoys Ben Beck. Troy breaks up with Connor. It's been three days. Yeah, is that really a breakup? And is it, hasn't he got work to do? Nope, doesn't have any work to do. No. Bates and LaForge activate their plan to push the fragment away. The Enterprise begins to lose life support due to the drain of power. They have seconds until they kill all the crew in order to save this planet. But guess what? They do it just in time. Yikes. Bates has had the time of her life. (laughs) And she's never felt this way before. (laughs) And guess what? She ain't going back. Uh, It's funny. I was just thinking you were sounding like um, Dirty Dancing because... Patrick Swayze's character seemed to have nothing better to do than teach some complete <laughs> amateur to dance in a week. Doesn't he have a job? Rachel just watched Dirty Dancing <laughs> for the, for the first, first time. time. I can't believe it. Does it make sense that they're having to drain the entire power of the ship just to operate this thing? Sure. Sure. <laughs> that it's sucking all, Why not? all air out of the ship. Why not? Well, oh no, because despite all of that, there's a breach in the biosphere. Now we'll all have to evacuate, I guess. Oh, darn, says Bates. Well, LaForge calls the BS on that because his visor would have picked that up. Another point for the visor. And we get this. I was born to be one of the best scientific minds of my generation. And in the past five days, I have encountered technology that I have barely imagined. And I've got to ask myself, if we're so brilliant, how come we didn't invent any of these things? Well, maybe necessity really is the mother of invention. You never really look for something until you need it. But all my needs have been anticipated and planned for before I was even born. All of us on this colony have been living in the dark ages. It's like we're victims of a 200-year-old joke. Until you came, all we could see was to the wall of our biosphere. Suddenly, our eyes have been opened to the infinite possibilities. It's pretty harsh that she's the only theoretical physicist on the planet as well, and she's expected to come up with everything that's ever been discovered by the whole Federation. But she's got quite high standards for herself. Well, but that's the thing. When you have a huge, you know, billions of people, and and, and by people I mean humans, aliens, Vulcans, all that mm-hmm. stuff. Don't get them. Working together to make some of the best technology and come up with some of the best ideas, you're going to shoot past these idiots. <laughs> Billions of heads are better than one. Yeah. Yeah. I have to jump in. So I'm going to put my scientist hat on for a second here because it's so hard for me sometimes to uh, watch television and turn my brain completely off even when I'm trying (laughs) to. On this show, I couldn't like this is the point where I couldn't turn my brain off. 
Mm -hmm. uh, because the presentation that they give into genetics and genetic engineering here is absolutely ridiculous. Um, it, <laughs> they, they, they portray this idea that the colonists are not under, uh, under engineering just for their physical traits, but they're also being engineered for behavioral traits and talents. Mm -hmm. One of the things about the time that this show was being made was that it's the 1990s. In the year 1990 is when the U.S. government announced that it was going to do the Human Genome Project, which was a decade-long attempt to try to sequence every gene uh, in the, the human genome. And then they succeeded, but of course when they started it, they basically promised they were going to be able to get rid of most heritable diseases and they were going to be able to solve a lot of other genetic problems. And there was all this popular press about like, well, maybe we're going to find the gene for blank. So they would mm -hmm. find genes for not just different physical traits or diseases, but maybe they'd start finding genes for specific behaviors. Mm -hmm. And that's not how it works. So what we mm -hmm. now know is that the human genome is, you know, they thought there would be many, many more genes than they actually found. Human genome is maybe 20,000 genes. And mm -hmm. it's a highly optimized system. So there are multiple ways to read genes. And even as it stands, you know, while there's no traits that we have that aren't ultimately genetic, a lot of what we have is emergent, meaning that it's not uh, hard coded. It's something that mm -hmm. happens through interactions between genes and the environment. And mm -hmm. so I kind of watch the show and I think, OK, well, how do you breed a theoretical physicist? <laughs> and it doesn't make sense to me because it's kind of like, well, you might be able to if you have perfect knowledge of the genome, which we don't now, but if you mm -hmm. somehow did, maybe you could figure out that there are certain genes that give propensities for certain characteristics, but so much of it is messy. And mm -hmm. some of, so much of it is based on the interactions between genes and environment during development that you'd have to have a lot of very perfectly timed interactions to try to make someone into something in particular. Sure. So well, it, I, it doesn't make oh, sense. Yeah, it doesn't. Uh, but I think part of well, Star Trek is that we have to, we don't have to, but we're supposed to take the idea that they can do it. <laughs> and I mean, they can break somebody down to the <laughs> sure. molecular level and reconstruct them perfectly. If they can do that, they can do anything. Mm -hmm. It's magic. <laughs> yeah. the, and I think the, the philosophy behind this which I think is particularly interesting in the concepts is like, well, if you could control somebody's who they are by their genetics or their environment or whatever, should you? I think that's the, the question. I'm mm -hmm. turning into Jeff Goldblum here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. So can you not breed somebody for intelligence, curiosity and mathematical? No competence <laughs> but you can breed a dog to be good at hunting or snuggly but there's also training involved if you don't train the dog to do those things it's just gonna have a lot of energy and not know what to do with it well you'll all be pleased to know that we're finally having a meeting in the episode now oh thank god I know, to decide whether to allow Bates asylum because that's what she's asking for now Worf is all for it which was really Sweet touch, he was adamant, you know, yeah. why wouldn't you give someone asylum who's asking for it? Uh, Bev says, though, if anyone leaves, a piece is missing of their society, especially their top scientists. And what will they be without her? Well, Picard heads to meet Connor. Troy confesses on the way by stopping the turbo lift for her confessional that she's been getting off with him. And she wants to explain the vibe that 
Picard is about to face. Nobody's perfect, says Picard. (laughs) (laughs) Just lets her off. But at least she was honest, I guess. They find Ben Beck pissed off again at their interference and loads of people are packed and ready to go off on an interstellar gap year. Oh dear. You have to deny them passage, Picard, says Ben Beck. Bates is adamant about leaving. Connor says, give it six months and then decide whether you really have to leave. Which I thought was reasonable at the time, actually. Yeah. But she said, yeah, and stay and have a campaign of convincing me that I can never leave. No, thanks. She didn't trust them, did she? No. They're not that perfect, then, are they? They are not perfect. (laughs) Doesn't mean you're nice just because you're perfect, does it? Although it's not really perfect perfect if you're not nice. (laughs) is subjective. Yeah, perfect in my way. Don't ruin our society on a whim, says Connor. Picard does offer to come back in six months, which is very generous and seems more than reasonable to me. But no, Hannah is out of there, along with some others. And tragic Connor will stay and try to rebuild it all as leader. He's fallen in love with Troy instead of a genetically perfect woman. And he loves her just the way you are. <laughs> Don't go changing, even though you're not perfect. <laughs> <laughs> that is that song. Yep. And we end with this. The colonists are all on board, sir. How many, finally? 23. If ever we needed reminding of the importance of the Prime Directive, it is now. The Prime Directive doesn't apply. They're human. Doesn't it? Our very presence may have damaged even destroyed their way of life. And whether or not we agree with that way of life, whether they're human or not, is irrelevant, number one. We are responsible. We had to respond to the threat of the core fragment, didn't we? Of course we did. But in the end, we may have proved just as dangerous to that colony as any core fragment could ever have been. All right, let's... Get into concepts. I'm going to get with this, what Picard says here about the Prime Directive. Is this episode eligible for the song? That's what I want to know. (laughs) It is. Hey, cute song. So he says, and this is an issue that we've had with the Prime Directive, uh, that it's we shouldn't interfere. If they didn't interfere, they are condemning them to death. So either way, the society is going to be destroyed. Let's just save some lives. You know, what's the least amount of harm? Well, they you... might all be a bunch of perfect Hitler future Hitlers. <laughs> <laughs> They're all going to go off to planets and do stuff. I think the Prime Directive probably doesn't apply because, you know, they say it doesn't apply because it's a human colony, but it's also a human colony that's been isolated for, what, two centuries, right? Mm -hmm. So in in theory, I guess this colony predates the Federation or it's like really early Federation. So Mm -hmm. if that's the case, then it is kind of like contacting an alien species. So you all have talked uh, about this problem in the past where the Prime Directive seems to favor humans just like the Federation favors humans. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, humans are also excluded from the Prime Directive. So I guess that means that it's not applicable, even though it probably Mm -hmm. should have been in this case from a certain point of view. They did change things, and that's completely against the Prime Directive. But they changed things by helping them, and they all would have died. Yeah, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's okay to meddle, does it? 
It's up for debate. Well, that's, yeah, that's something that they touch on with the Prime Directive. Yeah, let them die. If that culture is going to die out, then that's what was meant to happen. So let it happen in kind mm-hmm. of some weird fa- fatalistic mm-hmm. uh, viewpoint, which I personally don't agree with. And I think most people wouldn't agree with that. Like if somebody's hurt <laughs> yeah. or they need help. Get involved. <laughs> get involved. You know, if it's one of these where uh, some people will die or there'll be some discomfort or there'll be something bad's going to happen, then they have to work through that on their own. But if it's going to be a complete existential uh, issue, then I think getting involved is is probably okay. If they're trying to do the do no harm approach, if that's what the prime directive really is coming from, yes, then, you know, if they let them die, they're they're probably committing more harm than they are trying to intervene. I think in Stupid Experts, I'd like to go into how they approached their involvement with them <laughs> and how sloppy they were in some cases and maybe how they might have done this savingly and less obtrusively. Um, but isn't the Prime Directive just for pre-warp societies and could they have got there if they hadn't have had warp? Oh, if they're in another star system. They must have. They have to have had warp. Yeah. When did first contact take place? 2063. Yeah. And they, they would have had to leave about 100 years after 2063. Oh. So the, I mean, this show is so confusing, uh, but interesting <laughs> at the same time. So they never talk about eugenics, but it's clearly about eugenics, um, mm-hmm. even though yeah. they, they dress it in genetic engineering. Uh, so they get some things right. And it's funny because I don't think any of the showrunners knew a thing about eugenics. So I'm not going to pretend <sighs> like they were trying to get a message across about all the problems that eugenics introduces. But they're right in kind of pointing out kind of the tenets of what makes eugenics what it is. So eugenics is really a a belief system that's manifest from power. It's manifest from xenophobia. It's manifest Mm -hmm. from a desire to control reproduction. Those are the kind of the three core pieces of it. We tend to think of it in its nastiest forms. Um, I think, you know, Nazi Germany probably being among the, the, the top of that list and sterilization sure. in the United States also uh, mm. being high on that list. But I think it's interesting, you know, just from a show standpoint, that they don't really reflect that mentality in all of the colonists. The only colonist who actually portrays it is Martin, the, the interpreter. He's very xenophobic throughout the episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and none of the other colonists are, they're just very curious about these other humans that they've they've encountered. But then, you know, I kind of thought about it and the showrunners stumbled on something that was kind of correct, which is that if you don't have outsiders for 200 years, you have no one to be xenophobic about. They're worried yeah. about them only if they were to start introducing their genes into the population. Of course, that ostensibly maybe a problem between Troy and Connor, but, you know, at least as far as the show is concerned, they're not there to introduce their genes. And so Martin's worried about them polluting them with ideas more than he's worried about them polluting them with their genetics. So I think that in a lot of respects, you know, the colony does a pretty good job of showing what happens with positive eugenics, this idea that you breed what you want, what you desire. Uh, and there's really not much negative eugenics, although all of the conversation with uh, LaForge really is about negative eugenics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's about pre- preventing people from being able to, to exist or to mm-hmm. reproduce. 
is that the show kind of has two missed opportunities. Had the show focused more on this idea that eugenics is a belief system, it could have shown how it was an inherently flawed belief, even in the colony, because that means that the uh, colonists believe that if they remove anyone from their society, then the society falls apart. But maybe that's not true. They've never had anyone leave their their colony. It would have been an interesting conclusion if they had just seen when they remove people, the colony not collapse. And that would have felt more like original Star Trek. It would have felt more like TOS. Like mm-hmm. instead of the stellar fragment and trying to solve that being kind of the main uh, conflict for the episode, the conflict instead would have been, you know, well, what happens when we show up and colonists want to leave and the colonists do leave and then we see that the, the society perpetuates and it shows that, you know, their belief system was flawed. That would have felt more like mm-hmm. kind of classic Trek. The other opportunity the show misses is that, you know, if the colonists really had been bred into a eugenic way of thinking, uh, they should have just been disgusted by any traits they saw as defective. So like Picard coming down and being bald, baldness is something they probably have never seen or wanted. So they would have been disgusted by that. They would have been not curious about LaForge's blindness, but they should have been repulsed by it because this is a reflection of anything that's less than perfect from their point of view. Yeah, that's true. And they, they had been brainwashed in that philosophy exactly so i i mean i'm inventing a completely different episode here than with the one that we saw but i think in in some respects it might have been a lost opportunity to have a much more interesting episode with the same framework um that really would have been a commentary about what is the best of all traits yeah that that would have made them much less likable Obviously, yes, they if, were rather bland. If they were all like, "Oh God, what is? Why don't you treat that? Why are you walking around with your mm. bald head?" Looking down and off, feeling sorry for them, even if they weren't disgusted. Right. Exactly. Yeah. In the defense of this episode, it's forty-four minutes Written long. In a you week know, or you're, you're cramming a lot of stuff into into forty-four minutes here, yeah. so they can't do everything. Yeah. What do you think the significance was of having Ben Beck cast as a black actor and um, being the one who was xenophobic and? You know, a lot of eugenics. In the end, especially especially in the United States and uh, in Europe, ended up being focused on the idea of race and not on the idea of the individual. Even though when it started, it's debatable, but Francis Galton, who coined the term eugenics, wrote about wanting to improve individuals, trying to find the best of every group of humans. That was kind of his mm-hmm. argument. Uh, but it got transformed to a pre-existing idea of racial hierarchy, and then it became about the best races and not about the best individuals. So this this show is interesting because it's not really about that. It's more that kind of um, kind of pure original eugenics, which is that you want to find the best people. Period. So it's a it's an interesting kind of take on eugenics. It's not quite what we end up seeing in, in the reality of what happened in the 20th century and continues mm. to some extent today. They've tried to distance themselves from that version of it, I presume. Maybe, or maybe the showrunners weren't thinking that carefully about it. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yes, right. Well, we had Hannah's dissatisfaction once she saw what humans had achieved while they've been isolated. Like, oh, I thought we were perfect. I'm so pleased with us, actually. We're quite rubbish. A perfect society who hasn't even invented beaming. She's pretty disgusted with that necessity is the mother of invention as you've mentioned and they mentioned in the episode they're sheltered and stilted from creativity and progress um and considering they were all genetically engineered for generations they are quite lame aren't they (laughs) i mean they're not no more exceptional than your regular federation member or necessarily any of us 
Right. As far as we could tell. Mm -hmm. I would like to have seen more exceptionality. Look at Una in Strange New Worlds. She can carry a man over her shoulder, no hands. <laughs> you know, she's an augment. And we get to see that she is more than human. And they should have been able to outsmart and outpower the Federation. The ones of them who didn't want any interference should have been able to stop the Federation and cause some conflict. Well, I think that's there. the whole point of this. They, they're supposed to be this awesome race, and they're not. They're not at all. They're subpar to what the Federation, through just being open, infinite uh, diversity and infinite combinations, yeah. the, how they have grown in abilities and technology and philosophy yeah. compared to these stunted buttheads. <laughs> just in their, you know, their tiny little hole that they carve for themselves. And they're yeah. like, we're the best. Forget as a concept, but it makes it for a rather <laughs> episode because nothing ever really comes of it. In terms of the drama. I, I thought it was very dramatic, but we're, we're still in concepts here. Yeah, so. sure. Oh, the story started as a pitch from James Kahn titled The Perfect Human, which saw the idyllic community that contained essentially 100 Dolph Lundgrens hmm. and Paulina Porskovas uh, romping around semi-clothed, Adam and Eve-like. It was a beautiful Blue Lagoon colony, is what he said. <laughs> Sounds like justice, doesn't it? It does sound yeah. like, uh, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. I go, that that seemed much more like some kind of genetically mm. uh, modified society. They were all blonde and buff, weren't they? Belanoff suggested that it would be more interesting if the colony had people of diverse appearances and talents, each of who was themselves a masterpiece in a different way. Uh, after it aired, the genetics teacher of his contacted him, who praised that it was a good drama, but said the science was terrible. Oh, no. <laughs> and I will say uh, the science is terrible. <laughs> Second down on that. Well, we had a biosphere where everyone is engineered for a purpose, and if anyone leaves, they harm it. And as Ben said, that's not how eugenics or genetic engineering works. We had a sci-fi concept of using the visor technology to save the colony using a multiphasic tractor beam. But we had ableism from Bates, that they had been breeding out disability, and it was only LaForge's knowledge of his visor tech that was able to save their society. And, and Troy also mentioned that her love with Connor was doomed because she's half Betasod and that would mess up their perfectly engineered gene pool. There were, as you mentioned, Ben, some accusations of the episode being anti-abortion, which Berman rejected. Tor.com called it a warmed over first contact. <laughs> You've got a conflicted male leader trying to do what's best for his people, a hardliner of a male security chief who's permanently antagonistic and a female scientist who thinks the Enterprise is awesome and doesn't want to stay on the world and leaves uh, on the ship at the end. Ross, yeah. yeah. I've got a lot of parallels with that. First contact, meaning the episode first contact, yes. not the film first contact. The episode with Riker having his weird prosthetics on. And BB. And BB, that's right, yeah. So uh, listen to our episode on that if you haven't recently. So for scores, hmm... I'll go for a five. What? <laughs> this is so insanely chock full of some crazy heavy concepts. Yeah, but Ben Stone, they're doing it in a really bad way. Well, they don't do it in a great way, but it's still the fact that we, that there's so much fat to chew on this, <laughs> that we've got another person on that's an expert. <laughs> I think it says quite a bit about how many concepts there are. I was going to go with like a nine. I don't want to chew on fat. Oh. Uh. <laughs> I'm going to say concepts are nine. There's oh. some heavy, thoughtful, crazy stuff that is 
that's this whole episode is about concepts. It's not done perfectly and there's a lot of problems with it. And that's why I'm taking it down from a 10 <laughs> because this is all concepts. This is like hard line right into the vein concepts. Yeah. It's just not sci-fi. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to wait and see what Ben says and then I'll change gonna, my school. <laughs> I'm going to say eight because oh. actually I was nine before, but Ben's really talked me down because it's really poorly done. So I'm going to say an eight. Okay. Okay, so the scientist part of me gives us a zero. <laughs> <laughs> the long-term uh, Star Trek fan of me would give this about a seven and a half because I think it does give a lot of room for us to, to talk. Uh, uh, yeah. even, even if the episode itself doesn't necessarily have the concepts, it opens the door for talking about them. Yeah. Yeah. So that averages out at three and three quarters. For ben? <laughs> no, 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 no. The, the scientist part of me. Ignore the scientist part of me. Oh, okay. okay. He's not involved. All right. Entertainment. Michael Piller called this a real classic tragedy, though he referenced some disappointing casting. Rick Berman agreed on the casting issue and said it was slow and talky, and Jerry Taylor considered it their weakest of the season. Ooh. Oh, my God. I disagree. <laughs> Director Colby called it flat and also took a swipe at the actor playing Connor. Maybe I just didn't give it the energy, he said. Yeah, trying to be generous. Maybe it was, it was his fault. They used a blue screen to show what was outside the biosphere, the barren planet, mm -hmm. you know, which is really cool. And it presented directing challenges as it was placed in the middle of the set. They managed to shoot around it. We had a very lame love story. Why was that needed? We've just been having some good Troy episodes where she gets to do some real work. And now yeah. we've just got her as the love interest again. Oh, yeah. I really enjoyed Riker's long blank look at Troy as he beams out after the lines, Commander, if Mr. Connor doesn't mind, I'd like to stay and see more of his colony. <laughs> Connor says, no, no, that would be fine. I'd like you to see it. And uh, Riker knows why she's staying. She <laughs> He's like, okay. Colony. Yeah. Sure. That was a great moment. <laughs> I love that the scene where uh, Troy and Connor are kissing, it's like the, the Chopin fades out and all you hear are crickets chirping. <laughs> <laughs> it's about how I feel about uh, their whole relationship. <laughs> yeah. uh. my, my wife was kind enough to watch this with me. She does. She is not a Star Trek fan. Oh, I wonder what that's like. I know. Poor you. <laughs> so I'm, I'm secretly hoping that maybe I can use you all as an entree to getting her to, to start watching yes. Trek one of these days. But uh, she was just rolling her eyes at the clunkiness of their relationship the whole time and kept on saying, it's been a day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally agree. <laughs> so, and I, I feel sad that the writers still, at this point, we're halfway through season five almost, and they still don't know what to do with Troy. Oh, yeah. no. We've had some good episodes with her. Yes, it is sad that we've gone back to this now after the promising yeah change of uh, direction for her. Well, I was thinking, should I be grateful that Bates was swayed to leave by her drive to discover and excel rather than her falling for La Forge? It threw me a bone there that she <laughs> was focused on her. Yes. Her, her job and her intelligence. Um, but they were a much more compelling pairing than Troy and Connor. I would have really rooted <laughs> for them, actually. Uh -huh. I enjoyed her performance. Colby complained about the whole society being too perfect, I guess, including her, which doesn't make for good drama. Right. The costumes for the society were so 80s. I wonder about the choice with that, but it certainly made them stand out because we usually see alien races or people um, from different colonies with a distinct space look, mm -hmm. usually, you know, robes of some kind. 
Um, we had few custom made costumes in this, just clothes. So was this the perfect fashion designer that had, you know, been created on the colony? Or mm -hmm. did they just have to get things from a charity shop because nobody had been assigned that role right, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. from the 80s? Um, Bates has got some choice combos of colour particularly, but she manages to carry them off. So <laughs> many polo necks. Uh. So it, it, it was distracting, but yeah. I don't mind it when costumes are. There was no conflict because the only option was to save them and no stakes because we knew they would. They threw Troy in getting sloppy and influencing Connor, but nobody was buying that plot line anyway. Sure, yeah. Uh, ben Beck being grumpy held no threat either and went nowhere, mm -hmm. really. And it was pretty one note. He was just yes, he continually... Was. Yeah, even <laughs> though we know that actor can do much more. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, some people are leaving and they'll have to adapt. And, you know, as we've all said, it's better than everyone dying, isn't it? So of course. Really a no-brainer. Or couldn't they have saved them in a less obtrusive way, which for me was stupid experts. They sent a massive boarding party down there all prancing around, answering people's questions, showing off their technology, you know. They could have done it subtly. In their defense on that, you're jumping into stupid experts already. Yes. This is entertainment. <laughs> That's right. But we'll in their defense, they, it was a human colony. They didn't know all this stuff was going on with it. And they're just visiting a human colony. So they're like, yeah, whatever. It's, oh, oh, okay. You guys are doing things totally different than what everybody oh. else does. Oh, well, Bates had told the Forge. Before they don't have anything on the computers about these guys? Before they beam down? No. Well, that's sloppy, isn't it? Anyway, so for, entertainment. <laughs> for entertainment. Entertainment. For entertainment, I'll give it a five. Wow. I... <laughs> I totally enjoyed this episode. I know it's got its problems, but I thought it was pretty neat. Uh, I'm seven. I'd say I'm I'm probably seven as well, just because uh, it's it's sometimes entertainingly bad, and that's good. Yes, <laughs> that's true. Agreed. <laughs> Sexiness. Another unconvincing relationship. Not only that they fell in love in six days, but that he was doing this character is suave acting the whole time, and I just didn't buy him or their chemistry. Worf sticking up for asylum seekers was sexy though, and I had high <laughs> hopes for La Forge. It's kind of it was kind of disappointing that he didn't get to have a romance storyline with Bates. He was just being his brilliant self. He wasn't being awkward, yeah. and it could have turned into something sexy if he didn't, if she didn't ruin it by being ableist and then lying. Yeah. So two, you know, down from two point five because of the Connor and Troy relationship. I. <laughs> Bought the tr the Connor and Troy relation. I'm the only one. I guess I'm the goon, the mark. <laughs> oh, I'm yeah. the mark on this because I thought it was great. I was into it. So I'm going to give it a three. Okay. I'm going to give it a two. Uh, I will say that LaForge and, LaForge and Bates may have uh, had a relationship after she joined the Enterprise. Oh, yeah. That's right. Write that story, Rachel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's his redemption story after the Leah Brown stuff, isn't it? Uh, stupid experts. Well, were they supposed to be experts, these colonists? Supposedly, they were, and some of them would rather all die than any of them leave. So that's quite stupid, isn't it? Yes. Sloppy Troy. Sloppy massive landing party, as I said. Parading their freedom and their tech around, making all the <laughs> colonists feel FOMO. Uh-huh. Uh, expert engineering from Lafayette, though. They should have brought in data, I think you said at one point while we were watching it, when yeah. things were getting quite sticky, but maybe they were all trying to help LaForge get lucky finally. <laughs> and she was quite a dime store, Leah Brahms, actually, but but she didn't even register on his schwingometer. For some reason, I guess he was just too busy. He was working too hard. She yeah. came in with that little pencil skirt. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Come on. Sweet Mary. Even a polo neck couldn't make her unsexy. <laughs> 
if they were all so perfect, why did they have to listen to lame piano recitals? <laughs> it should have been Cirque du Soleil down there every day. What do you think? Sure. Or maybe artists don't fit into a perfect society. Well, yeah, look at that sculpture that was at the center oh, of the yeah, courtyard. It's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah. So for the Federation, one of stupid experts. For the perfect people, four. Oh, yeah. So uh, 2.5. Yeah, there's a lot of stupid ideas in here. But also, they were, I think part of them being stupid is the whole point of it. Yes, that they, that's true. they were in this tiny little microcosm. And that was their universe. And for that, they worked. And they weren't yeah. thinking outside of their tiny little anything that could have caused a problem that we have discussed earlier. So mm. I think that was part of the story. I think the Stupid Experts is actually zero on this. Ooh. I don't think anybody did anything that they shouldn't have done. I would agree. I think that the Stupid Experts on this are kind of by design. So I think that as far as the show is concerned, the Stupid Experts is probably pretty low mm-hmm. um, i give it maybe a two but i'd also give the writers and the showrunners a pretty high steward <laughs> i still think there was a big missed opportunity in what they could have talked about on the sure. show i think they definitely get into uh, a really interesting problem which is that they think they're a perfect society and they're not mm-hmm. yeah so i think yeah. that tampers down the stupid experts to some degree because it's by design that this is a a stupid expert society (laughs) yeah that makes sense yeah i like it so uh your guess is rachel i said they'd be engineered for those specific conditions and wouldn't be extraordinary in normal humans conditions no it wasn't about that thought they'd rather stay perfect and die some did yep i thought it would be about them not being allowed to live in their way Mm-hmm. No, not really. Yeah. I said a Picard showdown with the leader, ish. No. Mm. No, he. In fact, he sided with him. Oh yeah. <laughs> said, yes, <laughs> he was like, yeah. you know, we'll do Give whatever me you six want. Six months. Yeah. We'll come back. We're not bothered. We'll do whatever. Chili peppers, picking up a few <laughs> colonists from light years away, no problem. And I said Troy would want to help them more than Picard would allow. Well, she got more involved than Picard would have liked. Yeah. But then again, he said yeah, nobody's did. perfect. He wasn't that bothered, was he? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, Ben, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Your insight is invaluable and you've yes. made it way better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you all very much. So, and everything that you do, because this show is fantastic. Oh, go on. Everything I do, I do it for you. Why aren't you singing, Chris? I was, I thought, I was waiting to see if you were going to say you or Ben. I do it, it for, for you. Ben. All right, okay. <laughs> We failed. And everybody else else. as well. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much to all of you patrons for making this possible, this and every episode. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, patrons, for supporting the show. If you'd like to support the show, please head over to patreon.com forward slash Rachel Watches Star Trek and get loads more Rachel Watches Star Trek. And with that, I'm Rachel Lackey. I'm Chris Lackey. I'm Ben Auerbach. And you've been listening to Rachel Watches Star Trek. Star Trek!